It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about Syracuse crushing Wagner and a look ahead to the brutal second half of the season. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is ESPN.com's David Hale. David, it's always great to speak with you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and David, what you started on this one, it looks like another year of Clemson dominating the ACC. I know you put them in your going-to-win-it category earlier in the week, but is there anyone that can trip them up with the time left on the schedule? I mean, look, their two biggest uh, opponents probably in the division they've already beaten in NC State and Wake Forest. You have two other, I think, very good teams in the division in Syracuse and Florida State, but... I mean, I don't know that I'd feel great about either of those teams' chances against uh, Clemson. I mean, if you're Syracuse, the upside is that you don't have a a division loss yet, uh, which Florida State does. Florida State, probably talent-wise, is a a bit better equipped to um, attack Clemson and and potentially win that game. But um, they've already lost to Wake Forest, so that opens up a whole other can of worms. I mean, look, the bottom line is I think Clemson is – is not just the favorite, but the prohibitive favorite by a mile. But we've seen strange things happen before. I mean, Syracuse, worse Syracuse teams than this year's have beaten Clemson. So it's not entirely out of the realm of possibilities. And one of the things that, that Syracuse does uh, well that can, I think, really contribute to beating a Clemson team this year is the fact that they can play with some tempo. They can air it out over the top. You look at what they want to do with, with a Robert and I's offensive scheme and it fits well with sort of the way that traditionally you want to attack Clemson. Um, and the fact that they are able to run with their quarterback, I think, opens up some, some avenues too. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. But the other problem that, that of course, Syracuse faces is that um, even if they were to manage to beat Clemson, they've still got to be able to beat everybody else in the division in order to make sure that they win it. So uh, would it shock me if Clemson loses a game and we end up, you know, getting into tiebreakers or something like that? Not necessarily, but you know, the bigger problem is not necessarily just beating Clemson. But uh, I think Clemson has the advantage in most of their future matchups, whereas everybody else still has uh, a few different roadblocks that they're going to have to get past beyond just sort of hoping Clemson loses a game. David, if we were talking in the preseason, we'd be talking about Miami potentially winning the Coastal and Pitt potentially challenging Clemson for ACC supremacy. Obviously, that hasn't happened. Which team has been more disappointing to you? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I think in some ways, boy, it's hard. That That's like uh, an impossible question because they're both so incredibly disappointing. I, I mean, in some <laughs> ways, I think it's probably Pittsburgh because they've been there, right? They're the defending ACC champs. They were so good last year. I mean, you knew they were going to take a step back without Jordan Addison and Kenny Pickett. There, there's no way to replace that type of production uh, in one year, but they're bringing in a good quarterback in Keaton Slovis, a guy who'd had success. They were already deep at, at receiver. I thought, you know, to be honest with you, as much success as they had under Mark Whipple as the OC last year, I thought uh, bringing in Frank Signetti and, and trying to have a more balanced attack was a good idea. They brought back their entire starting offensive line, and you say, like, well, that's that's a great start. Well, the O-line has played like crap so far. Keaton Slovis has been bad. The receivers have not really stepped up in any sort of a meaningful way. The push to be balanced has probably 
again, I don't think it was a bad idea, but the O-line has not played well enough for that to be successful. Um, so, you know, it's just you look at Pitt and you, you sort of scratch your head about why are they this bad? Miami, I mean, I, there's probably not going to be a more inexplicable game uh, on the schedule in the conference this year than Miami getting just absolutely roasted by Middle Tennessee. Um, I would say that's a massive disappointment, and it is in, in the sense that so many Miami fans wanted to believe that this was a new era of Miami football. Even if they weren't, you know, Miami is back. Even if they weren't back yet, that we weren't going to see the same old Miami things. What we saw against Middle Tennessee is the same old Miami things. They lost the heartbreaker game to A&M, and all the air came out of the balloon. This has been happening to Miami teams for 15 years now. Um, the culture change at Miami is the thing that is, is the most frustrating because I, I think it was um, entirely possible uh, that they didn't have the skill position talent that they needed to win big this year. I think it was entirely reasonable to assume that there would be an adjustment uh, with the new offensive scheme and that that could take a step back. Like all of those things aren't, they're worse than I expected, but they're not entirely surprising. What's really frustrating is that you thought with this new coaching staff and Mario Cristobal and, and, and the investment in football that there was going to be a, a genuine culture shift where it was a team that fought even if they weren't necessarily winning every game. And now it looks a lot like the Al Golden years or the Manny Diaz years. I mean, it hasn't changed that much uh, at all. And that's really the frustrating thing if you're a Miami fan right now. On the flip side, I don't think anyone expected much from Duke, Syracuse, or Florida State at the beginning of the year. What team has been the biggest surprise to you? Uh, I don't think there's any question that Duke has been an enormous surprise. I mean, they've already hit their season win total over. Uh, I'm not entirely surprised, though, that they are markedly better than they were last year. I mean, we, we see this almost every year from someone where a new coaching staff comes into a place where there was had been a lot of complacency and the team had really played below its actual ability. Um, you know, this was sort of Louisville, Scott Satterfield's first year. Um, you know, I, I, Utah State was a good example last year of a team that just had essentially stopped trying. New coaching staff came in and turned it around really quickly. Maintaining that success is, is often harder than the initial success. So I'm not surprised that Duke is markedly better. I certainly wouldn't have had them uh, at 4-1, and one, but, but their schedule is very accommodating. I said before their Week 2 game against Northwestern, I said, you start looking at the schedule, and you know there's an entirely reasonable case to say they're a bowl team. Uh, I think that's probably what they're going to be is a 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five team, and that's huge improvement. But, um, again, I felt there was a lot of room for improvement there. Um, you know, I, I thought Syracuse was also going to be a, a bowl team this year. I thought they were going to be better. There's a lot of pieces in place. I thought the changes in the coaching staff were were big steps in the right direction. I'm going to reserve judgment on Syracuse until this sort of next little wave of their schedule, which is going to be far more challenging. Um, I think the team that's really been most impressive to me is, is Florida State, just because you know we talked about Miami and the culture problems there. Like this does look like a, a different Florida State team, and even in the loss against Wake Forest, you know, they get down 21-7, and that's when a lot of Florida State teams in the past would have packed it in. I remember Mike Norvell talking about their 2020 opener against Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech came back to tie the game in the, in the fourth quarter, and Norvell walked around on the sideline like everybody had acted like they already lost. And he's like, it's still a tie game. We can win this. And everybody's acting like we lost already. 
Um, that's not the Florida State that you see anymore. Uh, and it is a team that has gone and, and won some impressive games thus far. I mean, the, the win over LSU, I think, looks better every week. Um, so I, I, I don't I don't know that, that Florida State – I figured they were going to be better too, but the fact that they are as competitive as they are, that the culture really does feel like it's different there, that they're finding ways to um, really develop other other you know areas to, to win games. I mean, the, you look at the way Jared Verse is playing on that defensive front, the, the secondary has been much better. Jared, uh, Jordan Travis has turned into an absolute star at quarterback. I knew they were going to be able to run the ball, but they've actually had some receivers step up, and, and Johnny Wilson's played fantastically and is just an absolute weapon uh, in his, at his position with his size. So I, I don't. I, I guess for, for lack of a, a better answer, I will say Florida State. Um, I think they have probably the highest ceiling of that group. Uh, so you know, again, the, the back half of the season gets more challenging for everyone. Florida State. We'll get uh, Clemson here coming up in a couple of weeks, and that will tell us a whole lot more, too. Uh, all three of them have been great stories, and I think goes to show that, um, you know, you, you can you can still win a lot of games in the ACC and that, that some of the teams that get overlooked do not deserve that. Uh, but Florida State is the one that when they do it on the national stage that people will stop and pay attention to. And so I think it's critical for the ACC uh, at large to see Florida State be successful. And, and thus far, I think they've looked really good. And David, we'll get you out of here on this one. Speaking of Syracuse, they've started the season 5-0. and They're ranked 21st and 22nd in the AP and coaches polls. But they also play six straight games against teams that are either currently ranked or were ranked at some point during the season. One, do they deserve the top 25 ranking? And two, what record do you ultimately see them finishing with? I mean, I think they do, and and I don't know that there's this area of on Syracuse that you say like this is this is a their absolute strong suit. This is the thing that makes them great, uh, and that's maybe the challenge with Syracuse right now because they don't. I don't know that they have this sort of thing that they can lean on and say, all right, Garrett Schrader is, is such a good quarterback. He's going to go out and win us a game when nothing else is working. And Sean Tucker is a great running back, but uh, aside from the Wagner game, he's not been what we were kind of maybe expecting from him. But what they are is pretty good everywhere, right? Like I, I had a big red flag on the defensive line coming into the season. Well, that unit's played great uh, and has shown depth there too, which is shocking to me because that, that was, I mean, the, the one area that I thought, boy, I don't, I don't even know if they've got four guys that they can throw out there. Um, and, and they've been really good. The linebacking crew we knew was going to be good. The secondary we knew was going to be good. And they've played up to that standard. Um, that's going to keep Syracuse in every game. Now, how many of those can they win? I think that's a great question. But, you know, look, they're going to be challenged by NC State. They're going to be challenged by Clemson. They're going to be challenged by Notre Dame. There's absolutely no question about that. And that three-game stretch is going to tell us a lot. But the three games after that are going to tell us a whole heck of a lot, too, because even if Syracuse goes and loses their next three against teams that are probably, in all three cases, more talented than Syracuse, um, they're winnable games the next three. When you've got Pitt and Florida State and Wake Forest, I mean, those three teams I don't think are markedly more talented than Syracuse. Syracuse should be able to be in every game with them. So, you know, we saw a little bit of this with Syracuse last year. They, they certainly went 5-0, and but they were sort of a frisky, decent team last year to start the season and easily could have gone bowling, and then it all sort of fell apart. Uh, so what I want to see is, is Syracuse take a punch and get back up. And, and to me, that will tell us a lot about how good this team is going to be big picture. I think they can certainly play with NC State. 
I think they can challenge Clemson. Um, Notre Dame, I don't know what to make of them at this point yet, but the, the fact that Syracuse doesn't have this gaping hole anymore uh, anywhere I think is going to make them um, at least a, a challenge to everybody that they play. I don't think they're going to go out and get blown out by a bunch of people. So um, do they have that sort of next gear that they can step into and say, like, all right, it's a 2014 game, we're down in the fourth quarter, we need to score, do we have something to do, do we have a, a plan to do this, can we do it? That's the question. The Purdue game, I thought, offered a really good answer to that. Um, the, the, the competition steps up now. So we'll, we'll see. I think, you know, this is – if you finish 7-5 and five at this point, would it be a disappointment at Syracuse? I think that's a good question because anybody at the start of the season would have happily taken 7-5. and five. But once you're 5-0, and oh, <laughs> finishing 7-5 and five doesn't feel quite the same. Um, I think it will be very fascinating to see what happens. If they can steal one of these next three – I think that there's a very good chance you're talking about an eight or nine win team. If they go 0 and three in this next stretch, I genuinely wonder how they get back up off the mat. And and I hope that that's an emphatic, they get right back up and take a swing at Pittsburgh and win that one and, and on and on. But, um, you know, again, to me, Syracuse has shown a lot, but they're still of all of the teams that we're talking about in the ACC. They're probably the one where I think there's still the biggest question mark about just where the ceiling is. David, thanks so much for coming back on the program again. Our great friend David Hale from ESPN.com doing an incredible job of covering college football. David, we appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the rest of the college football season. We'll speak with you soon. No problem. Thanks for having me. Always love speaking with ESPN's David Hale. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad Syracuse routed FCS Wagner on Saturday, 59-0. The outcome was never in doubt as the Orange improved to 5-0. But I want to get your overall thoughts on the game and also on Dino Baper's decision to leave Sean Tucker and the first stringers in the game in the third quarter up 49-0. Oh, Wes, you know my thoughts about Syracuse playing FCS teams. I, I just think it's time that these games not be scheduled anymore. That being said, if you're going to play it, Think about if this game against Wagner was the opening game of the season instead of the win over Louisville. It would have been you know, probably the same exact scenario, but back on the first weekend of September instead of close to the first uh, weekend here in October. I, I mean, what can you really get out of a game against a team that is totally undermanned with only 53 scholarship players? had lost 23 straight games going into the Syracuse matchup in the Dome, there's just not a lot you can get out of it except fine-tuning different formations, different play calls, uh, getting second and third string players in the game so that they can be uh, developed uh, and have a chance to play in a game because they may those opportunities may be few and far between the rest of the season. And the other bad thing that can happen is, of course, injuries, and that segues to my thought about Sean Tucker. Look, I understand about loyalty between Dino Babers and Sean Tucker. We, we all know why he was starting the game in the beginning of the third quarter. But to me, 25 yards away from setting the all-time or matching the all-time Syracuse uh, in-game rushing record of 252 held by Joe Morris, it came off to me as simply artificial. Because after all, this was an FCS opponent. At halftime, by mutual decision, they decided to shorten the, each of the third and fourth quarters to 10 minutes from 15. And then you're going to put Sean Tucker out on the field 
who's already rushed for 227 yards in the first half to get 25 more or 26 more to set the new record. It just appears to me to be simply artificial, and, and I didn't like it. And then, of course, the worst scenario that can happen, he gets shaken up, and the injury could have been a lot worse, and he could have missed you know, games or even been out for the season, but thankfully that wasn't the case. I, I don't like it. I don't like when uh, people uh, try to break records and do it in a, a contrived fashion because you also have to remember that when Joe Morris set that record in 1979, that was a, a road game at Kansas. And, yes, that was not a great Kansas team that year. They finished 3-8. and eight, But Syracuse trailed through the first half of that game and had to rally in the second half on the legs of Joe Morris. And that was a great team with Bill Hurley at quarterback, Art Monk at running back and wide receiver, Gary Anderson as the kicker. And it went to a bowl game that year, ending a long-time bowl drought at that period of time. So didn't like it. And, uh, you know, I'm all for records when they're earned legitimately. Let's see Sean Tucker go out and get 253 yards against an ACC team the rest of the season. That I'll really appreciate. Brad, let's take a look down the road. As I mentioned to David Hale, Syracuse starts a stretch of six games against teams that are either currently ranked or have been ranked at some point. That starts after the bye week with Syracuse hosting number 14 NC State on October 15. How do you see them playing out of the bye, and how do you see them playing for the rest of the year? Well, let me say this first, Wes. Syracuse has made the sweet 16 of FBS football, that is, because there's 16 undefeated teams left. Really a hats off to the team, the coaching staff this year, for going out and winning the first five games. I think that certainly can't be discounted, as we all you know, had various predictions coming into this season, with Syracuse indeed get at least six wins to make a bowl game. And, of course, now they're just one win away heading into this open week on October 8th. So, first of all, congrats to the team going five for five to begin the season. Now, how long will that last? Well, we know it's going to last at least two weeks up to October 15th, and the game, as you mentioned, hosting NC State in the Dome. Let's take a look at Dino Baber's record after uh, open weeks in his six previous seasons. 2016, team lost at Clemson bad, 54 to nothing. 2017, lost at Florida State in a close one, 27-24. The only win after an open week in Dino Baber's six seasons was in 2018, that thrilling finish in the Dome when Tommy DeVito came in for Eric Dungy and the Orange beat North Carolina 40-37 to in double overtime. 2019, a tough one losing at NC State 16-10, to just couldn't muster enough offense in that game. 2020 was the wacky season with the pandemic, finishing 1-10. That was a 38-24 bad loss in the Dome to Duke. And then last season, Syracuse simply did not show up following the open week, losing at Louisville 41-3. So if Syracuse can indeed beat NC State, it would only be the second win under Dino Babers coming off uh, not playing the week before. So that will be interesting to see. And then after that, it's really going to set the tone. If they can get a six win over the Wolfpack and then go down to Clemson, well, let's see what happens. I mean, Clemson has a game at Boston College first, so obviously they're going to be ready for that. And, uh, you know, the Syracuse players just love playing at Memorial Stadium uh, down in Clemson. After that, you know, Notre Dame has been hot and cold so far this year, so it remains to be seen. 
Pittsburgh comes off a really bad home loss against Georgia Tech in its previous game. And then, you know, Florida State uh, in the Dome is going to be, you know, I think a game Syracuse will be primed for after losing a close one in Tallahassee uh, last year. I really like how Wake Forest has played this year with Sam Hartman back at quarterback. That's going to be tough on the road uh, in November and then the finale at BC. So, you know, as a team does, Wes, one game at a time, look to go 1-0 and with the next game upcoming. But Syracuse certainly should be in prime position to get bowl eligibility and if not get to a seventh or even eighth win for the remaining part of the schedule. And Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. I think it's simply awesome, Wes, that at halftime of the North Carolina State game coming up on the 15th, that Syracuse is going to honor the legacies of Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, and Floyd Little with uh, ceremonies with their family representatives, administrators, and the crowd on hand for them being inducted into the original class of Syracuse's Ring of Honor, the names appearing on the north side facade at the Dome. Really love the Ring of Honor. I really love this concept. I really uh, think it's great that Syracuse Athletics applauds the pioneers, the trailblazers of its biggest sports programs. And I'll have more on that uh, thought in my Orange Watch column this week on who I think should be the next people who should be honored in the Ring of Honor. But it leads me to this other thought, Wes, with about names and numbers being uh, uh, shown at the Carrier Dome honoring Syracuse greats of the past. It's been five years since Syracuse basketball has retired a number, so I think it's time. And I think the number that should be retired is Jerry McNamara's number three. Now, I know there may be a lot of politics because he's on the current coaching staff, and we don't know how many more seasons Jim Beheim is going to be the head coach, but this is GMAC. It's been 17 years since he was an orange star, and look, 2003, national championship game, six three-point baskets. 2004, 43 points against BYU to keep Syracuse's NCAA tournament alive. And, of course, of course, the one-man show in 2006 leading Syracuse to the Big East tournament title to get an NCAA berth. I think it's time for number three to be hung from the rafters of the Dome. Brad, my closing thoughts are on Marek Dolezal and Tyler Roberson. The former Syracuse forwards will be playing professional basketball in Hungary's A division this season. Dolezal will be playing for Hubner, while Roberson will be lacing up for Sendak. It's always great to catch up with Syracuse basketball alumni to see where they're at right now. And if you're wondering, Sendak and Hubner face off against each other on November 23rd, and we may see the two guarding each other. Here's hoping that both have great seasons. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that when I'm holding a water balloon, so many things look unnecessarily dry. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, 
Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 